episode 44 with T. Graham Brown. I've always been a big fan of T. Graham, and uh, he was a big star in the mid-80s into the 90s, uh, had a lot of big hits, uh, Grammy Award nominee, and uh, just a wonderful guy, and just has a cool, raspy, bluesy country voice uh, that I've always really liked. Uh, joining me again is uh, my co-host Brian Edwards, and we had a great time talking to uh, T. Graham Brown. Sit back and enjoy. Here we go. Okay, we're here with T. Graham Brown, uh, and I must admit that I am a big fan of yours. And, uh, oh, yeah, I have to, I've been trying to remember, uh, this concert that I saw you at and it was in Las Vegas. And, uh, I'm not sure if you'll have memory of this one. It's, it goes back to probably late eighties or so. And, uh, uh, it was downtown old, um, old Vegas. And I'm trying to remember the hotel, but it was almost like a little round pavilion inside the casino and it wasn't very wow. big, but you had jammed in your horn section and everybody in there. Um, but I remember that concert. It stuck with me a long time. It, it you know, you've had to ask if it's any of my top 10, uh, concerts I've ever seen. That was certainly in the top 10. I, Oh man, that's great. Uh, you know, I don't remember that. The, the only Vegas, everything was happening so fast back then that yep. it's hard to remember everything. But uh, I remember when Tanya Tucker and I were playing at the Hilton. Yep. And that's really the only thing I can remember. And I, I barely can remember that. But I don't remember the smaller place. I wonder what hotel it was. Yeah, and I've been I've been trying to think all day long. And, and my sister was there with me, too. And I asked her, and she remembers it playing this day as well but i just couldn't remember what what hotel it was um what were you doing in vegas we were right there for the fair convention and be the rodeo would follow right after the fair convention which one lend right into the other the international association of fairs and exhibitions would be out there everybody all they every like you'd have two or three hundred acts in town during that so i wonder if you're out there either going into the rodeo or showcasing for the for the fair convention or something like that that might have been it. That that very well could have been right. I, I don't remember that, but that sounds exactly like what that would have been. Yeah. Anyways, it, it was great. The band was, I remember the band being stellar and 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 having the horn section, and um, it was great. So um, uh, it's nice to have you on the podcast, and, and we were just chatting a little bit. Uh, you just did a, a little show in Florida, and uh, probably your first show back with all this COVID stuff going on and, and, yeah, uh, must've been nice to get back on stage again and, and, and perform. Yeah, it was, it was great being on the bus, you know, was, I missed being on the bus. Uh, we're going to do another show. I think we got two shows maybe in Jan July. They're going to let us do. We had the biggest year book this year in years and years. And it was just dumb luck that we got shut down, but everybody did, yeah. you know, it's like, not like we're the only ones, but we're, 
it's just a weird, weird time. I did the Grand Ole Opry the other night, and there was nobody in the building. You know, I think there were nine people in the building. They they had cameras. They were uh, broadcasting it. Yeah. Um, but Trace Atkins and Jason Crabb and I were on stage just looking out at that empty, you know, 4,500-seat place. It, it was really strange. We had a lot of fun, but it was really weird. I bet it was. I, I've seen a few of those uh, online, and and it, it's been great that they've been continuing with those shows. But it must be different from your view, um, not having that audience there. That's That's got to be really strange. Yeah, well, that's... We did a couple of uh, Facebook live shows that's kind of the same way, but it, you know, it was, it was still fun. And, and we had a lot of, a lot of views on our uh, Facebook live things that we've done. And then we did one for the Navy on uh, Memorial day, which was a lot of fun. We got this little place called six one five hideaway in, yeah. in Nashville. A friend of ours has a little private, he has it rigged up for video things, you know, so we were just basically sitting on stools and singing, but it's good. We got a lot of great response. I think people appreciate us doing that so they can, you know, see, see something live. Yeah, you bet. And I think everyone's pretty anxious to, to get out and, and see entertainment again, just as much as entertainers are anxious to get out and, yeah. and do it again. Um, hopefully it doesn't get, you know, to the point where everything gets pulled back again and we have to restart yeah. this whole cycle again. But it's, it's certainly with Brian and I, we've th- talked about it a lot and we promote a lot of shows across Canada and the States and that, and, and it, it's hit us really hard as well, but um, it's certainly going to change the, the, the market quite a bit, I think. And, and everything's going to be a little different after this is all done. I but. guess, man, I, I don't really know what it's going to be like. I, I'm, I'm anxious to see. Mm-hmm. It's who you know. It's like who knows. <laughs> yeah. Real strange thing is, is that when things are tough, people want to be entertained, and you're doing those Facebook shows and the Opry and stuff. The fans love it. I see all the comments everywhere that how much they appreciate being connected again because music means a lot to a lot of people. I don't think a lot of people realize how big and important it is in their life, and it does. Well, I think maybe you don't miss it till it's gone, and then you you can kind of see what kind of void there is. Um, I you know I, t- I one thing I miss I always tell people I got the best job in the world I get to make people happy for a living so uh, I just want to be out there I have a lot of fun at shows I. I'm having more fun now than I've ever had because I'm not out chasing a hit. I'm not having to visit radio stations every day. I'm not gone 300 days a year. It's just way more laid back. And, and, uh, I'm, I'm having a blast. And my wife, Sheila travels with me now. Our son's has grown up and moved out. And so we're in a good, my wife and I are in a great place in our lives. And, uh, I miss, I, I do, man. Like I said, I miss getting on the bus and, and going and doing shows. I miss the band. I, I, it's just a lot of fun singing. I enjoy, I really enjoy doing it. Well, that's, that's great. Yeah. I've seen you up on stage recently and I can tell you're having more fun than you ever had. And it's great. It's yeah. Well, it's just, a, 
I tell people sometimes I just wish they could feel what it feels like to be up there singing to people. You know, it's just a, it's wonderful. I think I've been, God blessed me with, with talent and I'm just glad to be able to go out and do it. It's a wonderful thing. It's an interesting comment how you mentioned how to explain to somebody how it feels because it, I've spent a lot of time on stage and it really is, it's hard to explain that feeling when you've had a great night and the crowd's with you and you get off that stage and you have that rush feeling. I don't know how else yeah. you would, how to explain that unless you, you've gone through it. It's pretty hard to, to imagine what that's like. Yeah. I just tell people it's a great feeling, you know, I, it's a, yeah, you can't explain it, but it's, it is, it is fun. You know how much fun it is. And yeah. It's, it really is fun. It's all the, uh, you know, the other 22 hours of the day getting there and getting back. But. Well, that's the thing, you know, uh, is there's an old saying, they don't pay us for the gig. They pay us to get to the gig. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so That's very true. So let's go back a little bit. And uh, uh, first of all, I was going to mention uh, your voice as a singer uh, is very unique in the country field because it's a very bluesy, raspy, you know, kind of rock, old rock and rollish, all those things before you would say country. But your voice really f- sits in a perfect spot. And, and, you know, when you'd hear your song come on the radio, it was so identifiable to you. Um, was was country something that you grew up on or is it a mixture of a bunch of things well both sides of my family are farmers and uh, we have a farm in north georgia that's been in our family for seven generations so i've always been around agriculture and my father worked his way through the university of georgia up in north georgia and he got a job selling seed with this company called Decap Seed Corn Company was the name of it. Anyway, his territory was South Georgia, and he was riding down Highway 41. This was before I-75 opened up. And he stopped in this little town to get a Coca-Cola, and he got to talking to some guys there, and he said, this is where we're going to move to. So he moved us down there. It's a place called Araby, Georgia, 70 miles south of Macon. Where, where Otis Redding's from, yeah. and then Capricorn Records and all those people that were there, you know, Marshall Tucker Band, all, you know, Charlie Daniels was down there. Some, the Almond Brothers uh, lived in Macon. And anyway, there was this, uh, the, the town was like 300 people. Yeah. So I listened to a station called WMJM. I remember little AM station. It was 1490 since 1940. That was their saying. <laughs> and they, it, it was a 5,000 watt station that didn't have a format. They might play Johnny Cash. This would have been in the 60s. Yeah. They might play Johnny Cash, then the Beatles, then Aretha Franklin, and then Jerry Lee Lewis and the Stones or whoever. It was all over the place. So I heard every kind of music there was and our house backed up to a railroad track there was a railroad track that ran through this little town and on one side of the 
track all the white people live and on the other side of the track all the black people live and i would our house didn't have air conditioning so i would sleep with my head down at the foot of the bed next to a, a window that i would have open with a screen on it so i could get some some air yeah and the first band i ever heard was the black band at the black church right across the tracks because it, it couldn't have been but a couple hundred yards at the most. And so that's the first live band I ever heard. So I kind of heard everything yeah. and, and it, it just got all mixed up. And then when I, I went to the university of Georgia, when I got to Georgia, I got with another guy and we started playing beach music, which is like, um, they call it Carolina beach music. I think it's very popular still to this day in South Carolina, North Carolina. But back then it was all the fraternity parties and sorority parties. And it was the drifters, the coasters, the flatters, yeah. the Tams, uh, Maurice Williams and the Zodiacs, Major Lance, all this old stuff. And that's how I paid my tuition at Georgia was I would sing at night and get up and go to class in the morning. And I did that for a few years. And then I, I saw a documentary on David Allen Cole on the public broadcasting station. And I said, man, I want to be that guy. So I basically dropped out of society and grew my hair long and grew a beard and started doing country rock. And I, I did that for three years. And then uh, Urban Cowboy, I had a kind of a unique thing going on. Then Urban Cowboy came out and everybody's brother started a country band and so I wasn't unique anymore and I started doing just a I had a band called T Graham Brown's Rack of Spam and all that was was just straight soul music so it's basically I did beach music for three years I did kind of country rock for three years I did straight soul music for three years and my wife uh, finished up her master's work at Georgia came home to the farm one day and said let's move to nashville because i'd always been checking to move i was scared to leave my little athens georgia atlanta georgia comfort zone but she, and i asked her, she was going to vet school and i asked her what about vet school and she said well i can always come back and go to vet school yeah she said if we don't move to nashville you will second guess yourself the rest of your life so i'm glad she got me to come, you know, I, I don't think I would have come if, if she hadn't been on board for it. But So I moved to Nashville and I started singing demos and a lot of, you know, my voice got around. And I think that when I signed with Capitol and cut a few songs, I think the deal was, th this is getting back to your original question, yeah. is I think that the deal was he is in Nashville, therefore he is country. I think that's the way everybody thought. Yeah. That's the way they released my records to country radio. Country radio played it. I don't. I didn't. I didn't start out to be anything. You know, a country singer, R&B singer, rock singer. I didn't. It's just that I was in Nashville and they released my stuff to country radio and they played it. Had they released it to other formats, I don't know if it would have hit or not. I have no idea, but you know, that's the way it worked. Yeah. No, it makes total sense. It's like that saying, you know, always stay true to yourself. And 
you know, you hear that from a lot of singers if they have advice for new singers or anybody starting. So stay the path and do what you do best. And uh, it seemed to to work for you very well. Yeah, well, I just do my T. Graham Brown thing, man. You know, I still got the same kind of band. I got a really cool, rocking, soulful band. Um, I just do what I do, you know, and people can put it wherever they want to put it. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about going down to Muscle Shoals and and doing a record down there. I cut my first two records down there, uh, albums in Muscle Shoals. Did you? Kind of thinking about going down there and and doing like a tribute to Muscle Shoals kind of record. So I've never uh, been. They say it's a re- there's a real vibe there when you record um, that you just don't get anywhere else. Did you feel that when you uh, recorded? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I hadn't been down there to record in a long time, but I had all the muscle show, the guys they call the Swampers, you know, the Muscle Shows Rhythm Section. Yeah. That's who played on my first two albums. Oh, wow. So I've, I've worked with those guys and the Muscle Shows Horns. And, yeah, it's great. It's great. It's just a little old place. It's, it's, you wouldn't think that they would have, cut all those hits down there it's just yeah if you if you rode through it you you wouldn't think in a million years but uh it's a great it's a groovy place and there's some great people and there's still a great scene down there the guys that are still alive in the muscle shows rhythm section are still playing and they they've got i guess a today's version of the muscle shows rhythm section that's great yeah. They still got the Muscle Shoals horns. They have the backup singers. A lot of they put out a documentary on Muscle Shoals that was really popular. So a lot of these kids from Europe or that a lot of rock, you know, young young kids that want to be hip yeah. that go to Muscle Shoals to record. So they're still they're still going down there. That's pretty awesome. So. Going back again, uh, as a young guy, spending time in Georgia, going to school, wh- what was that like for you and and school life and being being a young guy? Were, did you start singing young, or were you just and being a kid? Just being a kid. Yeah, I sang. You know, I had a little bitty record pro- player. My mom and daddy never listened. It was funny. I'm jealous, kind of of kids, uh, I know a lot of players that grew up playing, that their daddy or their mother taught them how to play, or that they had a family band or whatever. Well, that never happened to me. My mom, my daddy never bought a record in his life. My mom, I I cannot remember my daddy ever listening to the radio except to get the farm reports or or my mother. I, I didn't grow up in a musical family at all, but I did walk around singing, I guess, you know, I had a little transistor radio and I listened to the radio. I carried it with me a lot of places and sang along with songs, but nothing like, Hey, I'm going to grow up and be a singer. Nothing like that ever really crossed my mind. I thought I was going to be a baseball player. So I really didn't think about, you know, doing music for a living. It wasn't until I got to the University of Georgia 
I, I went to Georgia to play baseball, but I wasn't getting to play. I was sitting on the bench and, and I, I couldn't stand it. So that's, I had an offer to, to sing and make a little money. I went to baseball practice one day and I told my coach, you know, I said, I can't stand sitting on the bench and I got a chance to go make some money singing. What do you think I ought to do? And he put his hand on my shoulder. I remember like it was yesterday. He put his hand on my shoulder and, and looked into my eyes and said, Tony, if I was you, I would go sing. <laughs> so that was the end of my my baseball career and the start of my singing career. And it was probably the best advice I ever got. So you had never really done a whole lot of singing up until university, just you know, just, just listen, goofing yeah. around, you know, in high school, and I'm sure they do it in Canada too. When somebody's mama or mama and daddy would go out of town for the night or the weekend yeah. and all the kids would come over and have a big party and drink beer and raise cane and then clean the house up, you know, so yeah. the <laughs> parents wouldn't know that there was ever a party there. Well, we would do that. And, and I had a friend that had a guitar and we would sing at those kind of little Thing, you know, for our friends, but, yeah. but nothing serious, you know, just goofing around. And that was the, the closest I ever came to, you know, being a singer was just goofing off in those things. But yeah, that's great. You know, I guess I was always able to sing though. I sang in church, you know, I was raised in the church and went to church every Sunday and, and sang. So you know, it was just something you my did. daddy's side of the family were no, there was no music. My daddy's side of the family didn't go to church. There was no music, no pianos or anything. My mama's side of the family, my grandmother could kind of play the piano a little bit. Yeah. And sometimes we would sing hymns, but nothing, nothing serious. So do you remember your first paying gig? Uh, in university? Yeah, yeah, I do, actually. I, uh, I think we made like 15 bucks, something like that. I don't know, it wasn't much. Yeah. But, but um, we got to where we were busy. I had a partner. I, we had a, du a duo, I guess. And we, we just would play at fraternity parties, sorority parties. Uh, we, we would play at the Holiday Inn there in Athens, Georgia. Oh, yeah. You know, like, uh, just seems like everybody started at a Holiday Inn and yeah. in that part of the country anyway. And we had a good, we had a big following and had a lot of fun. But, yeah, I, like I said, I made enough money to pay my tuition. I bought my first house when I was 19 years old, so I was making enough money to buy a house. Wow, that's good. And, that's great. So, but, you know, it was just a little place, but it was... We called it, it was at 560 King Avenue, and they named it the 560 Fun Club. So basically, we were just partying and going to college. We were typical <laughs> college kids. Yeah. Those are the good days. Yeah, yeah very much so. Yeah. It's funny when you're mentioning uh, the whole um, Holiday Inn uh, gigs from years ago. And I, I remember being even young and, and traveling down I-75 and – uh, and seeing a holiday ends along the, the highway and they always have some type of marquee who's playing there that weekend and, uh, yeah. and all that. But yeah, that, that was a total scene that just doesn't exist any longer. 
Yeah, well, they, it was just a good place to play. I mean, and the, and the Holiday Inn in Athens is Athens is adjacent to the college. I mean, it's like across the street. Yeah. And so it was neat. It was just a it was a total college. Our whole following were college kids. It was just a total college scene there. And yeah. the Holiday Inn was the best place in town to for that would hold everything. Yeah, you know, they they built a big land. We were pretty popular, and they they made an addition to the Holiday Inn, and it was a big, big room. So it was fun. It was like I said, it was like just a party all the time. Yeah, that's excellent. So moving to Nashville, uh, what was that like? Just getting into town. Did you have any connections there at all when you got uh, to Nashville, or are you just starting from scratch? Basically, started from scratch. Mm-hmm. Um. I had I knew one guy, but he wasn't really that connected. Uh, he he I think he was traveling in some road bands, but he wasn't like connected in, in over at Music Row or anything. You know, he wasn't yeah. like a session musician or anything like that that you'd see around. It was awesome. Yeah, it, it was it really was awesome, man. It was like moving to Oz. Yeah. I was totally starstruck and um, just thinking, man, I'm in Nashville. <laughs> it was great. It was great. And then I remember I did, I started getting a little bit of work singing uh, demos. Man, I really pushed myself out there. I was, you know, the thing that I figured out was I figured out where all the movers and shakers drank. Oh, yeah. I've, I've I found out where the most popular happy hours were that they hung out. And I, I went to those places and I just kind of just met everybody. And that's where people got to know me. And then once I got started getting hired singing uh, demos, my voice got passed on those demo tapes. My voice got passed all over town, you know, um, Publishers were pitching the songs and producers and record people were hearing those demos. Yeah. And it was kind of like, hey, that song's okay, but who's this guy singing? That's how I got my record capital was through through demo. Yeah. I didn't do a bunch of showcases. I think I did two showcases. Yeah. And um, the second one was at the Bluebird Cafe. And that's where I got my record deal was at the Bluebird. But yeah, man, I I remember doing a, a, a demo at Tree International, which was the biggest independent country publisher in the world at the time. It's owned by Sony now. It's called Sony Tree. Yeah. But um, I remember they had offices that had balconies on them, and they would open these French doors, and, and you could hear music coming out at any given time. You know, people were listening to songs. And I remember singing a demo there. I got paid 20 bucks for it and I walked outside to get in this. We had a 63 Volkswagen and a 1959 Ford station wagon. And I remember going to get in the Volkswagen and I heard my voice coming out of one of those doors out on the music row. I started crying. I thought, man, I finally made it. I'm in Nashville. I'm on music row. My voice is coming out. It was a glorious day. I bet. So it, it was that's the way Nashville was and still is to me. Uh, 
I t- it's funny. I did a television show yesterday called Larry's Country Diner. It's on the RFD network. Yeah, know the show well. And um, Mac McAnally was one of the guests. Uh, uh, Janae, uh, gosh, I can't think. Of her yeah, the last fiddle player, name. Janae. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Uh, what's her last name? I can't. Dang, I can't yes. remember. But she was there. Um, anyway, on the way to the. Uh, I've just I've just done an acoustic album of greatest hits, just an acoustic guitar, and we were Sheila and I were on the way to the show, and we were listening down to those acoustic tracks, just checking the vocals, making sure everything was okay before we did background vocals on them. And so I I reached over, she was driving, I reached over and patted her on the leg, and I said, "Thanks for moving to Nashville." Oh. I mean, we're still we still feel that. And we've yeah. been here since 1982, and we just still feel like, hey, gosh, we're in Nashville. We can't get, we still can't get over it. It's a miracle, man. It's <laughs> we're living the dream. It's just crazy. We still feel that way. That's great. Yeah, that town doesn't. There's something special about it for sure, and um, you know, there's some changes to it, but there's still that vibe and that buzz that happens there that doesn't happen I, anywhere I just, else. I wish that some of these guys and girls today could feel what it was like back, you know, in the eighties, early, especially early. It's a whole different scene. You know, like music road basically doesn't exist anymore very much. You know, they're building condos and hotels and it's just not, it's just not like it used to be. It used to be, you could just walk in somebody's office pretty much and, now there's guards at the doors and you have to check in, show your ID and all that. You know, you, that never happened when I was coming up. Yeah. Good old days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we hung out together. The artists hung out together too. And we were all pulling for each other. And I guess they might do that today. But it was more of a, I don't know, I hate to say a club, but it was kind of like a fraternity, I guess you'd say. Yeah. I remember the year we came out with our first record, Keith Whit- it was Keith Whitley and Randy Travis and Marty Stewart and Steve Earle. Oh. And we were all buddies and hung around together and you know, so Yeah, it's, it was it was neat, neat, neat times. Now you did a lot of jingle work as well. Was that before you were um uh doing before, your- during and after. Yeah. It oh. was yeah, I, I did. I started off doing a McDonald's commercial that was for the Super Bowl. Wow. And um, once I did that one, the people heard me sing and they thought the ad agencies got hip to me. And they, I think they just liked my raspy voice or whatever it was. They yeah. started, I started getting calls anytime anybody needed a, a T. Graham Brown sounding guy, they would call me pretty much. I did every soft drink. I mean, I did, I did Dr. Pepper and Coke and Seven Up, and Mountain Dew and Budweiser, Strohs, Miller, Coors, every car and truck, every fast food, Hardee's, Burger King, Taco Bell, McDonald's. Wow. Um, I did. Uh, uh, almond joy sometimes you feel like a nut sometimes you don't i did that for seven years <laughs> I did, i've done everything man that's crazy yeah Excellent. i've done a lot of a lot of jingles 
that market pretty well doesn't exist exist no, much anymore, no, does it? No, not not like it was. Every now and then you'll see see on television or hear on radio like an original jingle, but now a lot of it is they they uh, license old songs. Yeah, like you'll see, especially a lot of these drug ads, these pharmaceutical ads. You'll here they're doing a Fleetwood Mac song or they're doing some old soul song or they're, you know, I think it's cheaper for them to license stuff than it is to write an original jingle and then have to pay a singer royalties, uh, residuals. Yeah. I think it's all, you know, it's like everything else. It's all boils down to money. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Back in the day I used to, uh, work for a couple jingle companies and produce uh, jingles, and it would be steady work. Yeah. Um, man, terrible jingles sometimes, but <laughs> the clients yeah, would. A lot of those jing, a lot of those jingle places that I would work for and with are gone. They just shut down. And these are some big companies, you know, that didn't, you know, that did a lot of national work. Yeah, but hey, Pan- I get called every now and then, but. It's not like it used to be. Yeah. And were they doing it in Nashville or did you do those other? Did you record everything in Nashville for them or did you have to go elsewhere to do it? Well, we recorded a lot of them in Nashville and some of them in Chicago, some of them in New York. Uh, when I was doing Taco Bell commercials for four years, I was I was actually on camera and singing. And we did all those out at uh, either the record plant and uh, Sausalito out, out across the Golden Gate Bridge from San Francisco. There's a little community called Sausalito. And uh, actually, that's where uh, Otis Redding wrote sitting on Dockler Bay. And um, some of them in LA at the Capitol Tower, you know, that Capitol yeah. Records building that looks like a stack of records. Yeah. I, I remember I was doing one with Little Richard there. Uh, I, that's where I met little Richard was doing Taco Bell commercials and we were great friends ever since. And, uh, I hate he passed away, but I remember we were doing a little Richard Taco Bell duet commercial and I called Dwight Yoakam up and I said, Hey man, do you know little Richard? And he said, no. I said, do you want to meet him? And he said, yeah. You know, so. I told him that we were at the Capitol Tower, so he was there. It seemed like in ten minutes he rode his Harley over there. Um, he had a big time, and after the show, I remember he took me to eat at a Italian restaurant. The the Taco Bell people, the ad people, would always provide a car and a driver. But I sent the driver on home that night, and I got on the back of. Dwight's motorcycle. I remember he, it seemed like he ran every red light in Hollywood. <laughs> scared me to death. But we wound up over at his house listening to his jukebox all night long. And it, I remember that was a fun night. I bet. Yeah, that would be for you. So Taco Bell didn't provide Taco Bell for you? Oh, yeah. Actually, you know, they, they finally, the CEO, his name was John Martin. He was... I went on to know these people and got to be friends with them over the years. He, he had this thing made up. It looked just like a driver's license. It had my picture on it and it was a VIP card. And I, all I had to do was go in any Taco Bell anywhere and show them that thing. And they would, they would give me food. So 
we would just pull the bus into Taco Bell's all the time <laughs> so the band could eat for free. Mm, yeah, that awesome. was great. Excellent. So in Nashville, you, you got signed um, and you, your first album came out. What, what was that like hearing your first song on the radio the first time? Well, golly, it was awesome. I remember uh, I had a singles deal. They didn't sign me to an album deal. Yeah. Back then, they had a thing called a singles deal, and they signed me to a six singles deal, which means they would put out a single, and then they had the option to put out another one if they wanted to, all the way up to six. So back then they would put people, the a record company would put out a single on somebody. And if it didn't hit, they might put another, that was back when an A&R department was really artist and artist development. There was such a thing as artist yeah. development that really was artist development. So I lucked out the first single they put out, I think it went to number 39 but it was enough for Capital to call for an album. The first single was called Drowning in Memories. It never made it to an album. But I remember Sheila and I got in that Volkswagen and we drove to Kentucky and we found this little bitty radio station. And I went in and begged the guy, I told him, oh, well, they didn't care. And I begged them to play this record. And I remember going out to the car and listening to it when they play, we were in the parking lot. Yeah. So that was the first time I ever heard, you know, a, a record on Capitol record. We had put out a couple of little records in Athens, Georgia that were pretty popular back then, Yeah. but that was just, you know, hometown stuff. But to hear uh, a record with Capitol records logo on it, getting played was really special. I guess. And it is for everybody. You know, you ask people and they'll say, Oh, I pulled the car over on the side of the road or whatever. But actually we, we found a little radio station and begged them to play it and listen to it in the parking lot. So that's the way we did it. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That's really, really fascinating. So how soon uh, after you started having singles go out that you actually hit the road, did you, have to do a lot of the radio tour stuff and right away, or were you hitting the road or are you just waiting after a couple singles got out? No, they put me on the road before the first album came out. They, they, they put out uh, that song drowning in memories mm-hmm. was a, you know, like I said, it went to 39, I think it was. And then they put out a, a song called I tell it like it used to be. And it was a big hit. Yeah. And, and, and that's when they had me, making you know recording the rest of the debut album which they titled uh i tell it like it used to be but it's funny we finished that album in muscle shells but we cut i tell it like it used to be that track in nashville oh wow and and so that's we did it at woodland sound yeah it's not even there anymore i don't think but uh no we did the horns and everything there in nashville and then to finish the record, we went down and we cut nine other tracks down in Muscle Shoals. And then, you know, the second single was a hit. The, the third and 
fourth single off that album were number one. So, you know, they had me touring. And then uh, my manager uh, put me on the road with Kenny Rogers when Kenny Rogers was like the biggest thing on the planet. Wow. And so we played every major arena in North America. This was before stadium shows. Just nobody was playing uh, football fields or anything no. like that. All arenas. But we were playing, you know, Kenny Rogers was selling out 20,000 seats. And on Sundays, we would do a matinee, and he would sell out a 20,000 seat place. They'd turn the house, and he'd sell out the second show. So, I mean, we were we were rocking, and I was opening the shows. And then a lot of times, they would have a middle act, and it would either be Dolly Parton or Barbara Mandrell, or uh, I know we did a bunch with Ronnie Millsat and Kenny and uh, Glenn Campbell, Lee Greenwood, uh, Eddie Rabbit was on a lot of them. Oh, yeah. That was really fun. You know, I'd never seen anything like that. They threw me out there. I'd never played anything but, but little nightclubs. And then, bam, all of a sudden, I was opening up Kenny Rogers and, in front of all these people. But I just kind of made it up as I went, you know, and just jumped on in there and baptism by fire and had a blast. I didn't know any different. You know, I didn't know how scary it should have been, I guess. I was just having a blast. So what, what did you learn from, from Kenny seeing him uh, every night doing his thing? Obviously, there must have been. Well, he did the same thing every night. He said the same words. He told the same joke word for word and all that. He had it down to a science. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm quite that um, stuck to a, a perfect routine like he had, but he can, I'm telling you, he knew what worked. He had figured out what worked and he just went with it. And he never showed any fear or anything like that. I just try to get out there and have fun. And I, like y'all were saying, you, it looks like I'm having fun. Well, I suppose I'm having fun. And, and if you're having fun, the people are having fun and, I'll tell the same jokes a lot of times and I kind of know that I do in that respect, I do kind of know what jokes are funny and people like, but I'm, Hey, I get bored telling the same <laughs> stuff, but no, yeah. Kenny had it. Kenny had it down to a science and he was such a sweet guy. He treated me like a King. He treated my band. Great. He always had a, a gourmet chef. We had great food. He let us eat with everybody else. He was great to his crew, to the sound company. Everybody ate the same food. Um, it, it was just, it was big time, man. It was as big time as you get. And I'm glad that I got to, to see what it was like, what, what a really big time show was like. Because the sound and lights and everything, I mean, it was big time. It was fun. That's the first big show I'd ever seen, I think, that that production when you were on that show with him doing the uh, the arena shows man that was something else i've never yeah. that. it was it was huge you're right yeah. for the for the day and time it was, it was as big as it got it was really fun for especially for a kid man it was i was well i wasn't a kid i was i didn't have i tell it like it used to be till i was 30 
one or two years old, which is pretty much unheard of these days if you're not starting out when you're 21 or two or whatever. It's hard to, there's not that many 30 year olds that are starting out with their first record. Yeah. But, but back then I was able to. So I wasn't a kid, but I was really a rookie. I'll say that. Yeah. The one thing I remember, uh, I did a couple opening spots uh, at Kenny Rogers shows and it was just, you know, kind of a local uh, act I was working with. But the one thing I do remember with, with Kenny is that he made a point to go out and say hello to you um, and shake your hand and to everybody backstage. Um, and it was just kind of shocking. I just, you just didn't expect that. And, and that stuck with me forever and just remember him just taking, make sure he came out and, and thanked us and, and shook our hands. And it's like, wow, I've never had any artist do that before. Well, he just knew what it meant. Mm-hmm. And, and that, like I said, he was very kind and he had a, a semi truck trailer full of clothes, like a traveling rolling closet. Yeah. And he would, he would tell me to just go in there and pick out some clothes. You know, he would give me clothes. I mean, stuff that was way expensive you know, like $5,000 jackets and stuff like that. And, you know, I could just go pick something out. At the time, I could fit into them. <laughs> I was the same size. Kenny and I were the same size. It's kind of a stretch getting, I still have them. And it's, it's not like it was then, but yeah. no, he was a nice guy, man. He was, he was, and he had a huge jet. And every now and then he would fly home a lot. And he had a house that was probably 10 miles from my mom and daddy's farm out in the country. And um, he would always fly into Athens, Georgia. And then somebody would pick him up and take him to the farm, which was probably 25 miles away. Mm -hmm. So sometimes he would say, you want to go home tonight? I'm going home tonight. I'd get on that jet and, We'd go. He had, he didn't have like a little Learjet. He had a big jet, like like airlines have. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was really something. Totally gold plated everything inside it. It was kind of it was really gaudy, but it was yeah. fun. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. So, what do you find now, if you're looking back at those days touring with Kenny and and doing live shows back then? What do you feel the biggest difference now between doing shows now than doing shows and touring back then? Well, I'm not, like I said earlier, I'm not gone as much. Mm-hmm. We're playing much smaller venues. We, we, we really like play every now and then we'll play a, you know, like a big, big show like that. Yeah. We play uh, a lot of theater, small theater, theaters that they've restored that used to be movie theaters back in the 30s and and the community has restored them we do a lot of those we do uh we do fairs yeah a fair amount of fairs everybody does it's pretty much a, a deal where we do fairs we do festivals just about everybody does that unless you're a, a big touring act and having hits right today yeah basically everybody does the same circuit, you know, fairs, festivals, those theaters, uh, civic centers, you know, um, a town civic center. 
it's a smaller deal, but I'm, I'm like I said, man, I'm having more fun now than I've ever had. That's great. I think I'm just relaxed, you know, I don't yep. worry about it. I'm, I'm not having to push as hard. You mentioned you did Larry's country diner this week. Uh, I've seen you on there several times. It's That's a nice relaxed atmosphere and everybody has fun on there too. And it certainly yeah. has helped a lot of country music artists that we haven't seen in a long time be exposed and it's wonderful absolutely wonderful well it's about the only place you can get me facetime on television you know those country fam- country's family reunion shows are awesome yeah. we i mean just getting in the same room with all your heroes like that it's really like i said i wish people could feel what it feels like to be around you know they're dying there's so many of them dying that and i'm glad larry black he started that thing like 20 years ago or so, and he's he's gotten so many people on tape now that are not here anymore, and it's a it's a great fun great it's great fun hanging out with with these. I feel a lot of times, or when I started anyway, I felt totally out of place. I was kind of second guessing myself, like, what am I even deserve to be here? But over the years, I've just kind of been accepted into the group, you know, and um, now I'm one of the old ones. So <laughs> I'm, now we're the old guard, you know. I was talking yeah. to Steve Earl. At the, Steve Earl came through and did the Opry, I don't know, a few months ago. Mm-hmm. And um, we were talking about when we first started and uh, – I remember Steve, Steve, and it was 1986, and Steve called it the the great credibility scare of 1986. That's how he described it. And we were talking about that. And, uh, yeah, we're you know Steve, he's bald headed with a long beard now, and and I'm I don't look the same either. <laughs> and it's it's fun. I I, I really miss. Uh, Keith Whitley being around and yeah, I, bet. I see Marty Stewart a lot and I see Randy Travis oddly uh, a lot too. You know, Randy can't really talk, you know, like he used to. And it's, uh, but he can, he knows he can communicate and his wife talks for him and, and I'll be sitting there with Randy uh, telling old stories and he'll, he'll smile and laugh and, I mean, he knows what you're saying. He can he can understand what you're saying. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, we we you know it's a whole we're the old mossbacks now. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Uh, so you you've been doing a lot of uh, gospel music in that uh, as well in the last uh, bunch of years. Um, really enjoyed a lot of your music there as well. Um, what kind of got you into to recording recording gospel well i don't sheila had been after me to cut a gospel album for a long time and i cut this album called forever changed and it's not really a so much a gospel album i i didn't think as as it is a a positive message album that's what i they're not what you would call a typical gospel songs yeah uh, a lot of them, but 
it turned out I really had fun doing it. And I, I had never called up any of my friends to sing on my records with me. I, George Jones and I did some stuff. I sang on some of his songs and he came in and sang with me. But other than him, I'd never called up anybody. I got Michael McDonald to sing some harmonies one time. Oh, cool. I got Amy Lou Harris to sing some harmonies one time, but not, not, not much. Yeah. But I, somebody said in the, we were cutting forever change and we cut this song called he'll take care of you. And somebody, I don't remember who mentioned, you know, Vince would sound good on this song. And I thought, well, I'll call him up. I mean, I knew he'd do it. We've been friends since the eighties. And so I called him up and of course he said, yeah, he never says no to anybody anyway. So yeah. I, I knew he'd do it and he's got a studio at his house. So it's easy for him to do things like that. So he sang, uh, a duet with me and played a guitar solo on it. And that kind of got the ball rolling. I, I called up uh, Leon Russell, the late great Leon Russell, and I had been friends since the 80s. And I had sang on a couple of Leon Russell's records. Yeah. And we we're, we did shows together. We were friends, you know, we'd go out to eat and all that. So I called him and, and he came over to the studio. Boy, he had fun too. Everybody was loving on him so much. And uh, he just had the best time. And I called up the Oak Ridge boys and they, it was great, man. Everybody I called up immediately said yes. I called up Jason Crabb, one of the greatest gospel singers alive. Yep. Uh, Jimmy Fortune yep. uh, sang. Uh, Sonia Isaacs from the Isaacs was on there. Uh, some other gospel acts and I got Steve Cropper to put some guitar on a song called people get ready. It was just fun. It just turned into this thing. And, um, then it got a Grammy nomination, which was totally out of left field. And it got, it got a Grammy nomination in a category called roots gospel, which I didn't think it was rootsy or that gospel. Yeah. but. <laughs> But anyway, so I don't really do a lot of gospel. It's just that I I did that record. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I go to churches uh, fairly often and sing and and tell people about my recovery story from drugs and alcohol. I tell that story, and and uh, I'm not really a preacher or anything, but I go in and I'll sing some hits for them, but people like me, it seems strange you would be singing. I tell it like it used to be in a church, but I do. <laughs> you know, they, they just like, you know, I'll, I'll ask the, the pastor of the church, what do you want me to say? Oh, I want you to sing some of your hits. And yeah. So we'll do that. You know, so I do churches. I do a lot of cowboy churches. Those are really I fun am. to do. Yeah. Which uh, there's, it's mainly music. The, usually in a cowboy church, the preacher only speaks for 11 minutes. I don't know if that's a rule or, <laughs> or what, but it's just about everywhere you go, it's 11 minutes. So it's not like you're getting, you know, preached to for an hour. Yeah. They'll always have a band and it's fun. And, you know, so I do a little bit of everything, man. I, I, I get to, I get to play all kinds of places, all kinds of music. I, I'm, I just have a good life. I'm telling you, I'm very happy. My wife and I are very happy. 
uh, I tell you what, once I straightened up, boy, my marriage got better. <laughs> Everything got better. <laughs> so I highly recommend it. If anybody's having problems out there, I, I think straightening up is a good, good place to start. <laughs> yeah, that certainly helps. Now, uh, appreciate your time. Uh, a couple questions I wanted to, to try to wrap up on, and it's a question I like to ask a lot of people. Uh, do you have a, a venue or a place out there in the world that you've never performed at that's always been kind of on your bucket list and never had a chance to, to play there? Do you have one of those places? Wow. Well, I'd love to play Carnegie Hall. I'd love to play Radio City Music Hall, Madison Square Garden, somewhere like that big in New York. If The number one fun place to play is the Ryman Auditorium. That, sure. To me, that's the greatest venue in the world. I'll, I still get nervous when we do the Opry there. Uh, I've done a couple of, I would say, real show i one of the most fun shows i ever did at the rhyme and I, I opened up for george jones and it was packed and we had so much fun that day i i don't think my feet ever hit the floor it was just a wonderful time but yeah i guess some somewhere like that you yeah. know some classic venues I, i've never played those places before yeah, and, and anywhere in the world that you haven't traveled to that you've wanted to go and perform or visit? I've never been to Japan. I'd like to go to Japan. I've never been to Australia. That'd probably be fun, too. Yeah. I bet, that symphony, I bet that symphony house that you see in Sydney, the, the, I always see the, that classic, looks like clamshells in a row. I'd love to play in that place. Yeah. Yeah, not too many. You don't hear too many... Uh, people you know especially country performers playing in the sydney opera house i've done the tour uh through it uh once before and it's 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 a pretty unique multi i never thought of it being a multi-venue place but there's multiple venues within there um yeah and all different sizes and and uh there was a little concert uh going on and uh got to see a little bit of a classical thing going on there so that was kind of neat but yeah it's certainly an iconic uh a venue and someplace that would be really neat to play on my list for sure um one thing i was going to mention real quick uh, when i was doing a little bit of research it was interesting i'm not sure how much touring you did uh or have done in canada uh but i was looking at your list of your hits and where they charted and a lot of your songs charted um really high here in in canada um you'd you know you'd you'd see where you were charting on one song and it was quite a bit higher in 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 canada it was certainly had a a strong following up here yeah i love canada Mm -hmm. Uh, you know i haven't been to canada as much as i probably should have um, it, it's, it's been, it's been rare actually that I've been to Canada, uh, to perform. Um, have to, have I'm to change thinking that. that maybe, uh, yeah, no kidding. Well, somebody needs to, uh, call me up. 
Exactly. <laughs> I know we went to Calgary. We played that thing over there. The Stampede, yeah. We played a few places, but I'm telling you, man, not not that many. Yeah. Uh, we had some good records in Canada, but, I mean, I, I really like Canada. Well, I have to get... I remember we did a Christmas train oh, in yeah. Canada yep. one year. And yep. they put a band together for us. And Sheila and I, I remember we slept on the train and we would stop in these little communities and they would uh, open up. They had a, a built-in stage and they would open yeah. up a box car and we would get out and sing. And then we'd roll on down to the next little community and the people would come out, you know, at the railroad crossing and see us. That was, so that was fun. But Yeah, that's, still, yeah, that's still going. They're still doing that. Yeah, yeah. that was yeah. fun. Good. Well, we appreciate your time. And uh, as I said, uh, you know, both Brian and I are, are, are big fans and, 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 and talking about that concert in Vegas. And that was honestly, definitely one of the top concerts in my memory and, and, uh, uh, enjoyed it. And it was just so much fun. And, uh, it was great having you on the podcast and, and, uh, is there anything, com- anything coming up, uh, in the future now, uh, that you want to talk about? Well, I'm going to put that uh, Acoustic Greatest Hits out. We did a deal with Time Life, and they're putting some of our stuff out on streaming platforms that had never been out there. And that's one of the albums that's going to be out. Um, I have this show called Livewire on Sirius XM Satellite Radio that I play live cuts from people's live albums. So that's on every month. They broadcast it, I think, eight or nine times a month. So I'm That's great. on a channel called Prime Country, and people can go to tgrahambrown.com, go to our, we have a cool Facebook page and Twitter and Instagram. It's all under T. Graham Brown. So yeah. check out our Facebook page and uh, just keep up with us that way. And I always uh, have the the listing of when the uh, live wire shows are going to be airing the dates the times uh, who my guests are so Excellent. that's a lot of fun too by the way i would just thank sirius xm for letting me do that that's just great fun to do i bet so do you record that yeah, just that's in nashville all I, uh, i'm sorry do you record that show in nashville for for xm yes yeah yes we do it in nashville and um I went to New York and did one at their headquarters in New York because I was up there. Yeah. But yeah, we do them in Nashville. Awesome. It's, it's, it's great. It's a lot of fun, man. I've never done anything like it before. And that's just like I was saying, man, I'm having more fun now than I've ever had. I'm getting to do a lot of cool stuff and I thank God for it every day. Excellent. Well, we're happy for you and uh, look forward to seeing what's coming up in the future. And hopefully we'll see you up here in Canada doing some performing as well. And if we're touring around, we'd love to uh, say hello and and, uh, and come see you live Thanks, again. Darren. Yeah. I appreciate y'all having me on the show, man. Y'all are great. Y'all are perfect. Y'all ask some good questions. Excellent. Well, thank you again. And uh, uh, we'll hopefully get to, to meet up at some point. I know Brian and I have been chatting about Get into Nashville, and as soon as they open the border, we might be able to do that. Yeah, yeah, come see us. Yeah, come see us. Like to take care of yourself. Okay, thanks, thanks again. Y'all. Yeah, bye yeah. now. Bye bye.